Well, to, to this morning, Brian um, and his family are on vacation, and so uh, we have a guest speaker. Um, uh, we're really excited about uh, Stan Tenen leads our grow table, and he um, he teaches the walking with Jesus classes. So in many ways, Stan is um, really a point person for you to grow spiritually. And so I just really want to encourage you to connect with him sometime if you haven't already. Really great guy. Um, Stan is one of those guys who has just a wealth of knowledge about the Bible, about theology. Um, and one of the things I love about Stan, you know, sometimes when you're, you uh, meet someone who has a wealth of knowledge about the Bible, um, they, they, we, we have this term that we use to refer to them, um, the armchair theologians, um, sitting in their armchairs but not really getting into the nitty-gritty of what it means to really live the Christian life and, and minister to real people. And I think uh, Stan is one of those people um, who we can wholeheartedly say he is not an armchair theologian. He is, he was, he's a guy who gets his hands dirty um, and has a heart for people. And so uh, we are just really excited about him um, sharing the message this morning, um, really great guy. Would you welcome Stan Tinnen? We on? Good. Hmm. Don't want to leave anybody behind. Um, it's, I, want, I want to address an, a potential issue before I get started this morning. We're, we're looking at James. This is, um, this is the end of the, the um, Louder Than Words series that has been on the, on the book of James for a number of months now. And I spoke a couple weeks ago, and apparently I didn't offend anybody too bad because here I am again. Um, you know, Brian and I poke fun at each other. We get it, you know, we get a chance. And, and, um, a couple weeks ago, he, uh, he told me he was going to zing me a little bit. And then he got up here and was talking about how old I am and, you know, made a big fuss about that. Um, you know, not everybody, not everybody's been here the same length of time. Not everybody knows me as well or Brian or whatever. I just, I want to reassure you that that's, that's all in fun. Okay. That's, you know, it's tit for tat. It goes back and forth. It's all in fun. I don't want anybody to think that Brian really has a problem with me being older than him, being really old. And I, I don't want anybody to think that I have a problem with him being younger than me, and particularly with his youth and inexperience. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, you just, you just do the math. I am older than Brian. I'm more mature more experienced, wiser, <laughs> taller, <laughs> better looking, <laughs> definitely cooler. I mean, this list just goes on and on and on. But, you know, there's a little history. You know, when Adele and I were looking for a church, you know, I pastored for a number of years, and we were looking for a church, and we were visiting various churches, and 
we kept visiting here, and, and we were praying. He says, God, where do you want us? And God made it very, very clear that he wanted us here. God showed us that despite Brian's youth and experience, we were to join this church. So here we are, supporting Brian wholeheartedly. So I want to state clearly, if there's any, any problems in anybody's minds, any question, I love Brian. I respect Brian. I think Brian's a good man. And despite his youth and inexperience, I think he's a good pastor. <laughs> so hopefully that will ra- uh, lay any misconceptions to rest. <laughs> I was hoping he would be here. And I'm hoping that he listens to this. <laughs> yeah, he will, or at least somebody needs to get, it, get the information to him. Because I told him, he said, I'm going to zing you. And it's like, remember... all right let's get into james this is the end of the series those of you um not terribly familiar with your bibles james is close to the end of the new testament you've got hebrews james first and second peter so if you can get there look at james we're going to chapter five this um i mean james is short it's just a couple pages long and if you're doing these, the uh, reading program, you just read through James not very long ago. So if you can get to James chapter 5, if we can get the text up on the, on the page, there we are. Starting in verse 13, is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is any happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And the Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. There's a little admonition at the end there, but that's the end of this section. It's very brief. This letter is very, very brief. It's actually not a letter in the sense that you have Paul's letters. There's no um, greetings at the end of it. He doesn't send greetings from anybody that's with him. You see that in Paul frequently. This is a general letter, what's called an epistle. This was designed to be a large audience in a number of different locations. So it's really not personal. It's very short. There's not a lot of detail. There's not a lot of explanations. It feels a lot like um, the Sermon on the Mount. Tremendous amount of stuff packed in a very small package. And you can read the book of James, the letter of James, in probably 10 minutes. But if you start thinking about it and unpacking it, as they say, you'll be there a long time. This sermon series on James could have gone a year easily. There's that much stuff in there if you really take a close look at it. So we're wrapping it up. Earlier topics in James have been trials, tests, and temptations. James is very practical very practical book about you know the practical aspects of the Christian life so we all have trials we all have tests and temptations 
um, endurance, hearing, and doing the word of God. James is very big on doing, on action. Not just hearing, not just thinking, not just talking. Do it. He spoke about the sin of being partial, that you favor one group over another. In this case, it was the rich over the poor. Uh, He did a section on faith without works. You can say you have faith, but if your actions don't show it, you don't really have faith. The taming of the tongue, very difficult situation for many people. You can do a lot of damage with this. And he knows it and he addresses that. It's a very practical issue. Talks about the sins of the wealthy and the worldly. And then this section on prayer. This is um, the very end of the, uh, of the end of the letter. James was called James the Just. Or another way of putting it, James the Righteous. He was also known as the Camel. And that's because he was given to prayer so much. He prayed on his knees so much he had calluses on his knees. And he actually, his knees looked like a camel's knees. So he became known and was highly respected in the early church, and in particularly in the Jerusalem church, for his righteousness and his prayer life. This was an outstanding leader of the early church. He was also the half-brother of Jesus, who came to understand who Jesus was after the resurrection. If you're interested in tracing that out, I can show you where that is. It's very clear. Anyway, let's look at it verse by verse quickly, and then I want to point out a few things. This is a a review. Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them. Let's put that in a nutshell. What's he saying? Are you suffering? What's the appropriate response? Pray. Are things good in your life? What's the appropriate response? Now, it says praise, but let's think about what is praise. What is giving praise to God? What are you doing? You're communicating with God. What is prayer? Communication with God. We tend to think of prayer as being, I need something. And I ask God for something. That's only a little piece of prayer. There's more to it than that. There's the, there's the give and take. So what's he saying? You struggling in your life? Lost your job? Car broke down? Dog ran off? Tree fell on the shed? What's the appropriate response? For a Christian, the appropriate response is pray. But what if it's the opposite? What if everything is lovely in your life? The sun is shining, the birds are singing, the bills are paid. Not too hot, it's not too cold. Everything's wonderful. Everything's just wonderful. What is our tendency to do in those circumstances? Forget God. We don't, we don't have a problem. Why would I talk to God? Everything's fine. What's he saying? What's the appropriate response when things are tough? Turn to God. When things are going good, what's the appropriate response? Glorify God. Turn to God. Acknowledge God. You're sick, okay, now you bring in some help. But the appropriate response is still what? Pray. He's talking about the description here 
Anyone among you sick, let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. We're not talking about somebody with a headache here. This is a person who's debilitated. The elders have to come to him. That's the picture. Talking about somebody seriously ill. For those of you with a Roman Catholic background, if you've ever heard the term extreme unction, it's one of the seven sacraments, this is the verse that it's based on. That's not what it says, because the expectation here is, is that they will live. The expectation in extreme unction is that it's preparation for death. So they took that idea and went a different direction. But that's, it, this is where it comes from. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. This is a very complicated section here. And it's easy to get distracted in this section of James by that little section there about healing. And we need to remember, this isn't about healing. This is a larger section about prayer. And this section about healing is in the middle of it. But having said that, I need to address this about healing because there's a lot of misconceptions about healing and how healing works. And they come from this verse. Because it looks like James is giving us a formula. There's no qualifiers. If you are sick, if you do A, B, C, and D, you will be healed. Right? That's what it says. Call for the elders, prayer of faith, anoint with oil, you will be healed. And, an added bonus, your sins will be forgiven. It looks like it's a formula. Some people take it as a formula. But that can create a lot of problems. But you need to remember, this is about prayer. The section is about prayer. But let, let me talk about this, um, the problems dealing with this. A friend of mine, very committed Christian, very intelligent guy. He's a lawyer, philosophy major in college, very thoughtful He's thought this whole thing through. He's raised in the church. He goes to a church that believes that God still heals. Well, a good friend of his, a man in the church, contracted cancer a couple years ago. And the church rallied around him, and they prayed for him, and he kept getting worse. And finally, they did this. They followed to the letter what James said. The man was sick in bed. They called for the elders and the leaders of the church to come and pray for him. They brought oil. They anointed him with oil. They all believed in healing, that God can heal. All the elements were there. Sick person, elders, anointing, prayer of faith. And he died. And it threw my friend into a crisis of faith that rocked him to his boots. Because he said, if I don't understand that verse, if it doesn't mean what it says, then what does it mean, number one? And number two, what other verses am I misreading? Because it seems very, very obvious. This is a very, very difficult section of Scripture. And... I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to be able to answer it all for you. James uses language here that is very ambiguous. And that's where a lot of the problem comes from. He uses terms that could be used for physical healing, but also spiritual healing. He uses a term for anoint, which could mean either. It's actually used more frequently of medicinal 
like putting triple antibiotic ointment on somebody rather than a ceremonial or religious anointing with oil. You get three or four layers of that, and you read this, and it's like, I'm not sure what he's actually saying here. This is a difficult situation, and it ends up, you get people taking this from extremes of what this means. One group, and I think they were from a Baptist background, I'm not picking on Baptists, but they tend to shy away from any gifts of the Spirit or healing like that. And they took it as, this was just medicinal. That the word illness, sick, just meant weak. And it can mean that. So they took it as, this guy is weak and he's depressed. So you call for the elders of the church and they bring oil. And they said, you pour oil on him and you massage it into him and it will invigorate him and it will encourage him. And then he'll get up and everything will be fine. That's one extreme take on this. The other is, the other end of that is my friend's position. Now, in between there, you have some variables or some different ways of looking at it. One is, is that this is exactly the way it worked in James' time. But that, that died out. That was a different age, and it died out with the, with the apostles, the end of the apostles. That this is the way it worked. James could make that statement then, and it applied then, but it doesn't apply now. Or you can take and completely, you completely spiritualize it. We're going to raise him up. That means he's going to be saved. Or you can further spiritualize it and say when it says he's going to raise him up, they're talking about the resurrection way in the future. That's how ambiguous this is about what he's actually saying, specifically about healing. I can't answer that for you. Sorry. I'd like to know the answer myself. Exactly. We don't know. There's too many variables in there to say for sure what he's saying. How many of you have ever prayed for someone and they died? Now look, keep your hands up. Look around. Okay, those of you who are sick, don't ever have any of these people pray for you. <laughs> they obviously don't have it together. Now, we're going we're, I mean, to do some prayer. We're going to put in practice what James is talking about a little bit later. I just wanted to prepare you. Just heads up on that. You might want to be a little careful about who you have pray for you. But if you think that God has told you that he's going to heal somebody, and you go and pray, and they die... That's a crisis of faith. Did I not hear God? Did God not want to heal? You don't know how to read that. It can be very, very difficult. So, is this a model? I don't think so. People that I know that are godly people, believe God's word, understand that God heals, all that, and yet they pray and people still die. It's not a formula. We may not know exactly what it is, but I'll tell you what it's not. It's not a formula. God doesn't operate in formulas. Maybe it's a model for then. Maybe it's a model for then and now. Is there a medicinal aspect to it? Okay, maybe. We don't know. And what does it mean to have faith? What's a prayer of faith? Does that mean a person who believes that God exists, they have that level of faith? Or is this someone who has a general trust in God and they believe that God can heal? Is that what's being talked about here? 
Or is it even more specific than that? And that you believe that God is, is going to heal that particular situation. It's very specific. You have faith for that situation. I believe it's the third. Then there's the connection between sickness and sin that James alludes to here. Now notice that he doesn't say that sickness is always caused by sin. You see that? It's not implied. It's that it's possible. Sometimes. Here you've got a guy sick and it says, and if he has sinned, not because he has sinned, if he has sinned, then his sins will be forgiven. Sometimes you're just sick. But you need to recognize that sickness can be brought on or kept in your body and block what God's trying to do because of your willful sin. That's also in this section. You can read this section in like you know, 30 seconds. There's a lot of layers in this. So, does sinful behavior always lead to sickness? No. Is sickness always caused by sinful behavior? No. But there may be a connection. And if you're sick, you need to explore that. So stay focused. Okay? This is about prayer. This section is about prayer. It's not about healing specifically. And we may not know exactly what James is saying. We may not know everything. But the fact that we don't know everything doesn't mean we don't know anything. What do we know? What is he clearly saying? He's clearly saying pray. It's always appropriate. Drawing attention to God, putting yourself in contact with God and God with you is always appropriate. Now, I want you to think for a minute. How many of you need prayer this morning? For physical illness, maybe for somebody else that has physical illness, maybe you have, you're facing a big decision coming up, maybe you're depressed, maybe you have financial problems, Okay, you need prayer. You need prayer. James says, pray. You pray alone. Look at what it says. Is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is any happy? Okay, those are individuals. You got a serious problem? You get you bring in some bring in the big guns. Bring in the leaders of the church, those who have a strong faith, strong knowledge of God's word. Those are the people who want praying for you with faith, that they believe God. And then what does he say? Look at 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. He's taking it to another level. Who's he talking to? Every one of you. Every one of us. You got a problem? You can pray alone. If it warrants it, bring in some prayer support. It doesn't have to be the elders of the church. It doesn't have to be the official prayer team that we have up here in a little bit. You don't have to leave your seat. Who needs prayer? Hands up. Look around. There's a lot of people here that want to bring God into the situation. And they want you to pray for them. They need you to pray for them, and you need to pray for them. Get God involved, is what James is saying. Don't get hung up on the theological, you know, the little theological niceties and stuff. That's not what this is about. Back in chapter 1, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. 
How does that apply to this situation? Do it. Do it. If we spend this morning talking about prayer and don't do it, what are we doing? Ironically, we're doing exactly what James is warning us against, and that's being hearers of the word and not doers. About claiming we have faith, but your actions don't follow it up. Does God love you? Does God care? Is God capable? If you believe that, why would you not pray? Your behavior says something. Right? That's all through James. Your behavior says something. Your behavior speaks louder than words. If you don't think in terms of prayer, if you don't get people to pray for you, what do you really believe about God? He doesn't care. He can't help me. Right? Think. What's he saying? This is very challenging. What is your behavior saying about what you believe about God? James warns us against hearing, but not doing. Talking, but there's no action. Prayer is always appropriate in some form. Prayer, praise, group prayer, individual prayer. It's always appropriate. Why wouldn't you want God's presence? Why wouldn't you want God's strength in time when you feel weak? Why wouldn't you want God's wisdom when you need it? You have major decisions ahead of you. Why wouldn't you ask for healing when you're sick? If you won't ask for God's involvement in those situations, what does that say about your attitude towards God? It's not good. Does your behavior say that you love God and want his presence in your life? Or does your behavior speak louder than words? And it says that you don't want or even need God in your life. Your behavior, your works speak. What are they saying? We have a lot of people here that need prayer this morning. I'd like you to all stand. I'd like the worship team to come up. I'd like the prayer team to come up. The time for talking about prayer is over. The time for hearing about prayer is over. It's time to do it. This is no abstract exposition of scripture. This is not an academic theological discussion. If James were standing here, it'd be like a little less talk and a little more action. Okay, enough with the talking. Do it. Do it. Why? Because God cares. Because it works. These folks are up here to pray with you. The elders of the church and the leaders of the church are available to pray with you if you think that's appropriate in the situation. But more importantly, the people beside you need your prayers. And you need their prayers. So wherever 
wherever you are this morning with that, maybe you're not comfortable coming up here, turn to the person beside you and ask them to pray for you. Stop hearing the word and start doing the word. Give God an opportunity to do something in your life. Quit holding him at arm's length. Pray. Do it. Father, we ask for your presence. Your presence is here. We know that theologically. We ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit to heal spiritually, to heal physically, to save, to give wisdom, to bless, to encourage, to strengthen. You can do it all. And you wait for us to ask. Bless us, Lord, as we ask. In Jesus' name.